Well, hello to our listeners. This is Marcia Epstein with Talk With Me on lawrencehits.com in Lawrence, Kansas, in the middle of the country, even though my guests are often lots of different places across the country and a little bit beyond. Um, and that's kind of fun. A lot of the shows are about and with writers. Writers are different genres, but I will admit lots of poets but not only poets, and sometimes artists of other kinds, including dancers, musicians, painters, sculptors. It's been pretty cool, lots of different things, actors. So this is a place where I like to remind people that a lot of important stuff happens through art. And important stuff may sound like, well, what kind of phrase is that? But it's like we we do get things we don't expect sometimes. We get to hear stories that make us think about things that we wouldn't have thought about maybe, um, learn some stuff, maybe pick up a few ideas for how we're going to do something that we're doing, whether it's about living life or some kind of creative endeavor. Because when you hear somebody else talk about their process, it's like, oh, Hmm, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I need to consider that. So, so my hope is that you always enjoy the show, that you even learn something sometimes from the show, and that most of all, that because you've enjoyed the show and hopefully laughed some during this time, that you also go forth into the world with a little more kindness and goodness because we cannot get enough of that, especially in these days. So today is a show that's one of those great reminders of how social media and the interwebs are supposed to connect us because I get to do a show with somebody who I got to do a show with because of somebody I got to do a show with and the chain goes on. Um, thanks to Wolfgang Karstens of Epic Rights Press, I have as my guest today, Misty Rainwater Lights. And I'm also in the, and still in the middle of reading one of her books. And so this is kind of fun for me in, a, in several ways. Sometimes I get to read the writer's works before, sometimes after, and right now I'm kind of in the middle. And I wanna welcome Whit Misty to the show. Hey, how are you this morning, Misty Rainwater Lights? I'm great, thanks for having me on. I'm glad to do this. So, so tell us a little bit about you, including where you are in terms of I'm in Lawrence, Kansas, and you are? I'm in San Antonio, Texas. All right. I was born in a little town called Bridgeport. It's the north central Texas by the Metroplex, Dallas, Fort Worth. And I begged my first husband to just get me the hell out of Texas. So we went yeah. to Albuquerque, New Mexico in 2002. And, and then I uh, left him for my second husband. And I gave birth to our son in 2007, and I freaked out with postpartum depression and anxiety, and I thought I needed my mom. So when my son was just two weeks old, we came back to Texas, and I lived across the street with my mom in a little town called Nederland, which is in East Texas. Uh -huh. And so I've been in Texas ever since, and I can't even count all the moves. There's been multiple moves. I divorced my second husband in 2012, and now I'm living in his guest bedroom in San Antonio, so it's just a chaos. Uh -huh. um, but I oh, finally nice. managed to graduate. Yeah, I finally managed to graduate from college last May. It took me 
I don't know how many years. I started college in 92 at Texas State in San Marcos, and I was off and on. And then I finally got my BA in English at UTSA last May, and that was a major accomplishment for me. My mm-hmm. blood is all over that piece of paper. <laughs> so, it was yes. a challenge just passing basic math. I mean, that was yeah. hell for me. Yeah, math isn't a natural for a lot of people. And it is also a requirement in so many college programs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's cool. What, what prompted you to go ahead and finish your degree? Well, um, since 2000, I think 2011, I've been on disability for anxiety and depression. Uh, I haven't been on meds since 2011. All my life, since I was nine, I've been given various diagnoses. The most consistent diagnosis I received is major depression, but a psychiatrist, in 2011 diagnosed me as bipolar 2 and I was on lithium for a while it turned me into a zombie so I just quit meds in 2011 I don't think I'm bipolar 2 I just I don't see it no one that's close to me sees that Uh Um, so the disability is not enough to live on Mm -hmm. and I determined one thing I determined that I was not going to leave San Antonio I mean I've left for a few different periods I was in San Francisco very briefly but I determined that I was going to stay here so that I could see my son because we have joint custody of our uh, son who's nine. And so I decided to get the financial aid to go back to college because with the financial aid and the disability combined, I'm able to survive. I'm actually back in college right now. I'm taking some art classes, but I think the financial aid is just about to run out because I've been getting it since 1992. So I'm trying to figure out some basic job that I can do and get off the disability so I can stay in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So lots going on in your life and lots that, that, as I say, is at that intersection of art and mental health. So I, I would love to have you say some things about how those two fit together for you. you. You're a writer in different genres and you've just acknowledged that you've had some mental health challenges that have been identified since you were pretty young. So how does, yeah. how does writing fit into that? Well, I first started writing around age nine when I went to see my first psychiatrist. I got a Snoopy diary. I rode my bike across town, Wichita Falls, and I used pocket change to get a Snoopy diary at the Tallmark store. And I started writing about how my dad didn't send the child support, and I heard my mom bitching about it on the phone with her friends and what I ate in school that day and my friends and which friends I lost and whatever. And so I've always had writing as a security blanket to help me through stuff in my life and I started getting involved in the small press and I think it was 2005 I was published in Psycho to my coffee and then from there I just thought I'm going to see how many credits I could rack up I'm going to take this thing for all it's worth and mm-hmm. uh, when I was married to my second husband we were in Albuquerque and I thought the easiest job I can get is security guard. Security guard has no stress. You just walk around with a walkie-talkie and a little notepad, and that'll be so easy. And so I took a security guard job, and I had a nervous breakdown because I had to call an ambulance because someone had some accident in a call center. And uh, I was criticized for not being friendly enough to the customers in the call center. And so my second husband said, you know what, just stay home. I'll support you. Just work on your writing. And... I did for many years. I just worked. And in 2010, 
I went to California for a week. I had a very strange, short-lived affair with a fellow writer. And he had told me for years, he said, you have to write what you know. You've got to write Texas. And I said, it's hard enough living Texas. I sure as hell can't write it. But then after we had our week in California, I came home and our friendship had ended. And I went into a deep depression. And that's when I wrote the original draft of Bullshit Rodeo. Uh-huh. I was on a psych ward in Dallas for about two weeks, and um, I published Bullshit Rodeo myself at Lulu.com, and then other publishers, editors in the small press expressed interest in it, and it was mm-hmm. on an Australian press for a minute. I didn't like the way they presented the book, and mm-hmm. I wasn't happy with it, and so then I talked to Wolf, Wolfgang mm-hmm. Carson's in Canada, and then he published a version that I'm very happy with. And he just mm-hmm. published the second edition of it. I think it was in January of this year. The second edition came out on Amazon. And mm-hmm. I feel bad because I have, I have not done anything to promote it. I actually <laughs> flew to I flew to San Francisco uh, last September. And another former friend, she was going to have me read an excerpt to her students. Mm-hmm. And she actually evicted me from her family's hotel via an email because I didn't tip the maid. I didn't know you had to tip the maid. She said, now, if you're staying in the hotel, I was staying in the hotel for free. She said, uh, at the end of the week, you need to pay the maid $20. And I was prepared to do that, but she was upset because I'd been requesting maid service every day, and I think that was a big deal. I thought they were just going to make my bed and give me some fresh towels, but that was a huge deal. And so she ended the friendship over an email, and I was just, it was horrible. I had to take Uber to the Greyhound station on Folsom and I had to scramble to get a Greyhound bus ticket and get the hell out of town. So I didn't promote my book and I, I don't do the open mic circuit in San Antonio. It's all I can do to go to college, drive to campus and then come home and I tuck my son in at night. I can in the bath and I want to be here for him. I don't want to be driving over San Antonio doing stuff, but I do need to, to make a plan to, uh, promoted as an open mind. It's just been kind of challenging. It's been really challenging for me. Going back, I thought art school would be so easy. Uh, you just you draw and paint, but no. I had to drop two of my art classes because I couldn't handle the stress. It was just too much homework. Uh-huh. And I'm just in a weird place where I just want to be here baking cookies and being with my son. That's all I want to do. I did go to an art opening a few nights ago for extra credit for one of my classes. Uh-huh. But I'm in a weird place where I just feel really anxious and uncomfortable when I'm not in this house with my son. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're being really open about how you are feeling and thinking and how that affects what's realistic for you to do right now. And and I appreciate and thank you for doing that because I think a lot of people are in similar circumstances. And what's so important for people to realize is that it's not a choice to do less. It's a realistic, not able to do more right now at this point with everything that's going on emotionally and otherwise. And and it's really important for people to understand that, just like they'd understand that you wouldn't be running any marathons if you'd just broken your leg, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. So So talking out loud about that stuff is really important. And so I'm wondering, you know, in terms of, the writing that you do, as you said, you, you've kind of been told to write what you know. 
is is some of that coming out directly in some of your writing in terms of your your talking in your writing about depression anxiety and and sort of how that's affecting things or just kind of is it showing through what happens with your characters oh it, it absolutely does i'm pretty much anti-memoir i don't like um for example wild by cheryl Strait. i don't like how people will take a section of their life and they almost make it like a pbs special where it's didactic it's holier than now and at the end it's right up with a pretty bow if the people have asked me if Bullshit Rodeo is an autobiography or a memoir or creative nonfiction, no, it's a novel in the same way that um, How to Save Your Own Life by Erica Young is a novel. That was based on her real life, but mm -hmm. she she made it into a novel, or Hemingway or Henry Miller. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of their books was fiction, how much was true life. Bullshit Rodeo, most of it really happened, but there is some fiction interspersed in there, and um and it's absolutely not a memoir. It, it doesn't have a happy bow. It, you can't put it in a box, really. But I did put the pain of my life, the alienation, living in Texas, which is pretty much consistently it's an anti-intellectual environment. I come from uh, working-class people. No one was college-educated in my family. My dad went to seminary for one semester, then dropped out. Um, and... I did have encouragement from my maternal grandmother and my mom as far as books go. My, both of them read to me and my maternal grandmother told me fairy tales and, uh, and stories that she made up. But I found the museums, the art galleries, and the library pretty much on my own. I was self-guided. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I put it all in Bullshit Rodeo. The environment that I struggled in growing up, I wrote how... Um, I've been, I'd have been better off if I'd gotten the microscope and telescope I wanted instead of Barbie dolls because mm -hmm. I really had this interest in science and that just wasn't nurtured or anything. Yeah. And, uh, and the anxiety and depression and how I feel like I absolutely failed as a mother the first few years of my son's life. And now I guess I'm trying to play mad catch up and I'm trying to be the mom that I wasn't the first few years of my son's life. And it's challenging because I'm intensely creative. I, I have to create. That's the cliche people say that, oh, I have to create or I die. But, but I do. I have to write. I have to make art. I can't just sit and watch television. And I don't think I'm designed for a status quo life. My ex-husband still loves me, but I can't marry him again. And so I'm in the guest bedroom. And it's just kind of like that short story, The Yellow Wallpaper. And I actually did a paper on that in one of my English classes at UTSA, I, I uh, analyzed the yellow wallpaper because that really resonates with me. And I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that story. I can't even think of the author's name. Um, I think it's Victorian literature, but it's <clears throat> in the Victorian era in America. And there's this woman who is given the, uh, the bed cure where I guess she has anxiety and depression and her husband just puts her in this room and she never leaves and she's always in bed and she starts analyzing the yellow wallpaper in the room and she slowly loses her mind and it has a really dramatic crazy ending where she interacts with the wallpaper and her husband walks in and she's crawling around the room licking the wallpaper <laughs> and that's what it was like for me when we lived in uh, the town that where I wrote Bullshit Rodeo, a little town called Kearns. It's basically a glorified cow pasture south of Dallas. And 
we had separate bedrooms and turns as well. I had my own room and I, I lived in my room. I would just spend hours on Facebook and, and I was sick. I, I wouldn't leave my room and my ex-husband finally had to put a lock on the door so that when he was at work during the day, I wouldn't go in there. I would take care of our son and not be on the computer all day. So from your perspective, what helps you get able to do some things? You know, you said like now you're really dedicated to your son and to your art. What, what do you know that you do that lets you be able to do those things? Well, it's hard because most yeah. days I just want to stay in bed. I don't want to get out of bed. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's like I've told my mom. My mom has always been my enabler and that she'll say, you know, Misty, school is just too stressful for you. Just just don't do it. Or uh, San Antonio is too stressful because I hate the traffic. I hate driving and the traffic is got off. It reminds me of Los Angeles because it's just a big sprawl. And uh-huh. it's basically a car city. You have to have a car in San Antonio. Just come to where she lives. She lives in a small town in East Texas. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, you know, whenever I feel like giving up, I just clench my fist and I just tell myself I love my son. If it wasn't for my son and the great love that I have for him, I would have left the country a long time ago. I have a passport and uh, I would just leave the country and try to live off disability because I've researched that you can actually live off disability in other countries. Mm-hmm. and supplement it with selling stuff, whatever, my art. Mm-hmm. But because I love my son so much, I just pretty much willpower. I just tell myself, I've got to do this. I've got to go and take these shitty classes that I don't really feel and um, and just show up. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm invisible in San Antonio because uh, I've tried to make friends and be a part of the art scene, but it's exclusive. I think I have a lot of things against me because my art is absolutely outsider art and I don't have a convenient label. So this is, this is Latina art. This is my tribute to Frida Kahlo. I don't subscribe to anything like that. And I can't, I'm white. So um, I feel like I have that against me. I'm not neatly categorized. I'm absolutely outsider and all over the place. Uh-huh. So it's hard to connect to people. I have a couple of friends that they live a distance and I don't like driving so I just mm-hmm. stay here in the house and my ex-husband drives me crazy he always has the television on but I just come in my room and uh, work on my stuff or take my son out for excursions we go to the parks and we hike or um, we did go with the family last Sunday to a Monet and Batiste exhibit at the San Antonio Museum that was awesome uh-huh. and we have a soccer ball we'll go and kick the soccer ball around but when I decided to get off meds, I thought I need to change my diet and just be careful about what I eat and stuff. So I drink a lot of green tea. I eat a lot of organic stuff. I eat a lot of uh, vegetables. I don't eat a lot of meat. And I've noticed that I do feel better when I don't drink soda or eat fast food or uh-huh. eat junk. I still eat junk. I still love with peanut butter cups and stuff like that. But I try to <laughs> be careful because we were living in Kearns. I was basically living on frozen pizza, Chef Boyardi pizza, Cheetos, and honey buns. And I'm not that bad anymore. I've, well, I've changed good. since then. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so just 
as we're talking about this, and again, I want to thank you for being so open about your life because it's not something that everybody is willing to talk about. And, and again, so many people are affected by challenges with depression or anxiety or different things, you know, and here you are going, this is, this is what it's like. And I, I am an artist and I'm a mom and I'm doing my best. And basically my best may not look like your best, but it's okay because I really am doing a lot because I want to be a good mom and I need to create art. And those two things are important to you. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've shown that to my son. I didn't, I didn't get that. I mean, when I was growing up, I was psychologically and physically abused by my dad. And then I was abandoned by my dad when I was six. And people would say, well, you should be relieved. The guy that's beating your ass with a belt finally exited your life. But there's still an abandonment there. Yeah. And uh, even when a child is mistreated by their parent, they still love that parent. And yeah. I've had a huge electoral complex all my life. I, I think the man that I love the most is a man that I almost married actually last December. And he's an alcoholic, just like my dad, and emotionally unavailable, just like my dad. And so the limbic system, I absolutely believe in that, that we're wired a certain way. And you can try to talk yourself out of it and think, well, this person's no good for me because of this and this and that. But it's, it's hard as hell to dismantle the limbic system. And I've not achieved that yet because I still have feelings for this man that I was married, but I just made a conscious decision. Um, my grandfather had just died. It was in early December. And um, instead of being there for me, he sent me a bunch of bullshit text messages because I was going to go to the funeral with my ex-husband and he gave me shit for that. And I said, you know, I can't do this because I was thinking of actually marrying him and living with him, which meant I would only see my son maybe once a week at the most. And I thought, it's it's not worth it mm-hmm. to give up what I have with my son to be with someone who's not there for me when a family member dies. You know, mm-hmm. that's absolute bullshit, and I deserve better than that. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> so, and part so, of what you're oh, saying... What I was getting to, I'm oh. sorry, what I, was, what I was trying to say, and I lost myself in my train of thought, what I was trying to say, I just rambled, but um, was that with my parents, my dad abusing me and my mom enabling the abuse, um, no one ever apologized to me or talked to me in a humane way, like, I'm sorry that just happened, I just lost my temper, none of that. It's like they were gods. They were mythic god status, and I was just this little nothing, non-human, non-entity. With my son, I have raged, I have lost my temper when he was younger, and I, I couldn't deal with him when he was a toddler. I would verbally abuse him, but then I would apologize. And my mom said, well, that's going to mess him up if you do this stuff and then you apologize for it. It's going to confuse him. And I get that, but I've always humanized myself with my son. I'm not putting Uh myself on God's status, like an authority figure on high. I've always sat down to his level and said, you know, I'm not angry at you. Mommy is going through stuff, and I'm struggling, but I'm not angry with you. Uh And there have been times I thought, it's probably better for him if I just leave. But I thought, no, I think abandonment would be the absolute worst thing. Or me committing suicide would be the ultimate abandonment. And that's an yes. excuse for him to do the same thing that made his life is hard. And so, I mean, suicidal ideations are pretty much a, a regular thing for me. I struggle with those often. Uh-huh. And I just, I talk myself out of it and I say, 
that would be the worst thing I could do to my son. And so I'm not going to do it. And I just mm-hmm. got this book montage of tech about the Kurt Cobain documentary. And I've always been a big fan of Nirvana. When I found out that Kurt Cobain had blown his brains out, I warned for three days. I listened to Nevermind over and over again. And his, his truth just really resonated with me for obvious reasons. And I thought, you know, I don't judge him for what he did. I don't judge anyone for getting suicide. It just seems like the most logical conclusion. It's the way things are in this world right now with a talking Cheeto for president. I mean, suicide makes perfect sense. Or leaving the country makes perfect sense. But at the end of the day, the love that I feel for my son is so great that I am somehow able to transcend the suicidal ideations or escaping, just leaving mm-hmm. the country, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so I stay in his life and he sees that I'm a very flawed human. And we all are, you know, that's the thing we all are. And, and what I hear you saying is, again, is that you're, you're doing your best when you make mistakes, you apologize, you talk about those and you realize that <clears throat> although you don't get to choose your feelings, you, you do get a, especially better over time at being able to decide what you want to do regardless of those feelings, you know, that, that we have yeah. choices and you're making a lot of choices so that you can be the best mom you can be at this time to your son. And again, you know, creating art is really important to you. So in terms of your, your, I'm guessing some kind of visual art, tell us a little bit about that. You mentioned it as outsider art and you mentioned Latina influence. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your art or is there a place um, on, on the internet that people can see some of your art? Yeah, I've got a blog that I have on a manic basis. I have probably on average about 10 posts a day. I just, I manically post there. Um, it's on Blogspot, Chupacabra Disco, and I put my collages and my selfies and um, I put a poem on there yet. I don't write poems that regularly, but I did post a poem that I wrote yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um, the collages, I've, I've Googled collages extensively and I look at the collages at Instagram and I don't see any like mine. I guess mine are pretty chaotic. I see a lot of collages where there's a definite theme. You'll have a landscape with mountains or whatever, and then you'll have uh, a figure in the front. Well, I don't, I don't do that. I just put things that visually appeal to me, and I don't really usually go for a theme. I just mm-hmm. put things that I think make a nice juxtaposition. And so there was a student show at UTSA, and I paid $22 and submitted uh, five pieces including a collage that I worked extensively on it. And one of the criteria was you can't have any glass in the show. You have to have plexiglass. And so I had to research plexiglass. I wouldn't spend money on plexiglass. And I put everything into that collage. And then there were four paintings and they all got rejected. And that hurt. And I thought, well, what kind of stuff are they going to put in the show? But then I've seen a lot of the stuff that UTSA um, likes and it's minimalism. And I'm, absolutely anti-minimalism <laughs> I think it's bullshit I think it's weak I put everything like the collage there's oil paint in there there's thread there's feathers um, and then paper of course and acrylic paint and um, yeah I'm, I'm multimedia I like to put everything into my stuff okay. All and in terms of your writing, before we get to the point where we're going to take a break in the show, I wonder, would you be willing to share a little bit of your writing? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So do you have a piece in mind? 
there's a very short chapter from Bullshit Rodeo. It's page 77. It's chapter 18. I was in first grade. I lived in a house in Jacksboro, Texas on a dead-end street. A preacher and his family lived across the street. At night in the summer, my sister and I would catch frogs. I remember being afraid at night because of stories the babysitter told me. The scariest one was about a doll that came to life and killed an entire family. The preacher had teenage sons. I remember being in the backyard of the house next door with one of the sons. The family that lived in the house was not home. We were alone in the backyard. He had me down on the ground. There was a little golden book. Why? How? Where the fuck did it come from? I don't know. A little golden book with songs inside. Music. Lyrics. Illustrations. The teenage son had me down on the ground. He said he would let me out if I could read the book. I was afraid. I could not read, not very well. That is all I remember. I remember feeling fear and shame and powerlessness and relief when the family finally got home. I was on the ground and he was on top, trampling my smallness. I could have been a flower, but I was a girl. And so that's, so that's an excerpt from, from Bullshit Rodeo, um, one of the novels that you have published. And as you've mentioned, it's currently available through Epic Rights Press. Um, yes, and Amazon. And Amazon. But I'm going to say, buy through the small press if you can. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, we're going to take a short break here and hear from a couple of the businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com. And then we will be back with more conversation and hopefully another excerpt from readings by Misty Rainwater Lights. And before we take that break, I want to say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show. And we will be right back. Welcome back. This is Talk With Me with Marsha Epstein, host. And today my guest is writer and artist Misty Rainwater Lights, because we were talking about your collages as well as your writing. And I want to get back to your art for just a minute because I didn't clarify this. Is is most of your work at this point collage or are there other kinds of visual art that you're creating? Well, I had this boyfriend for a while. Uh, I actually have three exes from last year. He's one of my exes from last year. He's an art professor at, at the University of San Antonio. And when we met, I was doing all these abstract pieces. And he said, you need to make your work representational. He said, you're, he said, I've been to all the museums in Europe, but I've seen the best abstracts, and you're not there. He said, your collages are really strong, but you need to do representational. And so I did a Chupacabra series, and one of the pieces I submitted to the show that got rejected was Chupacabra wearing a T-shirt that says, I shot JR, and he's pissing on Blue Bonnet, holding a michelada in his hand, and he's licking the michelada, and he's dreaming of the Alamo being on fire. And so it's kind of a fuck you to Texas. <laughs> and so it's no surprise that UTSA rejected that one because um, mm -hmm. people are big on blue bonnets and the Alamo. And I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know until I took a, um, a Mexican literature class at UTSA a couple of summers ago, the, the real story of the Alamo, how the Mexicans were actually the good guys. I wasn't taught that, of course, mm -hmm. uh, in Texas public schools. So, I and do. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to do a portrait of myself. I do selfies all the time. But they're not just like, oh, I'm in the bathroom. Look at my hot Planet Fitness body. <laughs> I make. I make them into art. I put on uh, clown 
makeup, not like a clown, but like um, Native American stripes, tribal, tribal stuff. And I do a lot of food stuff, and that's caused controversy. And um, I, I think it's ridiculous in America how we exploit the violence and we get turned on by shows like The Walking Dead and the more gore and this or the better. But nudity is still such a big deal that nipples are illegal at Instagram and Facebook. I just never have understood the puritanical hypocrisy in America regarding sexuality and nudity. Uh-huh. And uh, so I'm, I'm trying to put that into my art. And there's a homework assignment I'm doing for my 2D class. It's gouache. And uh, my drawing is of a woman that has a television for a head and she's got two steps for arms and she's got breasts, but she's got tape over the nipples. And on the television is a pistol. And that's my statement on the glorification of violence mm-hmm. and guns in America and how you have to put X's over the nipples. No one wants to see nipples. Those are really grotesque. Mm-hmm. But we don't care about how much violence there is. That's all okay, huh? Yeah, you know. Very strange. I, I was watching I was watching The Walking Dead with my son. This was about a year ago, I guess. And the ex, my ex-husband had The Walking Dead on. And there was a scene where a zombie just rips this little boy's face off and he looked like my son actually about the oh, same age and the zombie just ripped his face off and I thought no and then uh, we watched um, another episode we don't watch it regularly but it was on it was uh, the one where the guy takes a baseball bat and he bashes the people's brains out and Mike said that's enough he said Jackson go to bed and I mm-hmm. thought I can't believe they're putting this and I know that he goes to school with kids who they watch The Walking Dead on a regular basis and they see that shit and that's okay that's acceptable and the video games that they played, we've had all kinds of issues with my son telling him that he can't download certain uh, video games on his tablet because of the violence. And it's just grotesque. It's thought awful. And yet mm-hmm. we're so hung up on the human fucking body and sexuality. I don't get it. Uh-huh. I don't get it at all. Uh-huh. And I want to get back to your writing then. So how does this come out in your writing? Like, Is, is there something that you would like to read about that, read from another, either another book or another part of Bullshit Radio, Rodeo? Yeah, I'm looking for a book I published myself. I revised it uh, recently. It's called Sucker But Happy Time. Oh, gosh, I should have that. I don't know where it is. <laughs> uh, but in Sucker But Happy Time, after I left my ex-boyfriend, when I was married in December, um, we broke up. I think it was in 2014 and the void that was created in my life by his absence I just went crazy and I um, joined eHarmony I joined Match I joined Ashley Madison I joined all these terrible websites and I just started quote-unquote dating I had a lot of sex and it was uh, it was very stupid and indiscriminate the worst was when I showed up at this guy's apartment we had just been texting and he was really gross he was asking for pictures that I wasn't comfortable with and I stupidly showed up his apartment and we had breath, violent sex and I bled for two weeks. And so after I had all these experiences, I said, you know what, I'm done. But I'm going to write a book about it. And so I wrote a book called Sucker But Happy Time about my dating in San Antonio and I can't believe I can't find that. Well, there's Walking the Earth. Walking the Earth was inspired by the oh, Mary. I speak to it. I speak to um, my disgust with America and 
the violence and all of that in basically all of my books. Okay. Let's see. Here's, well, okay, here's an excerpt from uh, Walking the Earth, but it's not really about America. It's, it's more personal. There was an Easter egg hunt at the motel, but Marissa was in a hideous mood. She didn't want to look for eggs. After cracking cascaronis on Andres' head, all she wanted to do was eat Easter cake and jelly beans, drink Pinot Grigio, fuck and sleep. I'm tired of your mood swings, man, Andres said. Don't call me man, man, Marissa said. I'm tired of your mood swings, woman. You know how I get. I'm melancholy. I'm not bipolar. I'm not schizophrenic. I'm just a moody bitch. This is a childish holiday. This holiday is not for adults. I miss my son. If you were in San Antonio, it wouldn't matter. You wouldn't be able to see him. Your ex and your mom don't want you to see him. That's what I need. Thanks. Salt in the wound. I know I messed up. I shouldn't have gone to the hotel with you that night. I should have gone home and baked cookies. You were messing up long before you met me. Fuck you. It takes two, babe. Andres opened another beer and turned on the television. Cartoon elves and fairies were singing praises to Jesus in Spanish as they danced around pink and purple mushrooms. Marissa went inside the bathroom and slammed the door. She lit the Jesus and Virgin Mary candles she had put the stone by, especially for Easter. She turned off the light and ran a hot bath. In the bubble bath, Marissa closed her eyes. She saw her son and his cousins hunting for eggs at maternal grandmother's house. There was plenty of chocolate to go around. There was potato salad and ham and pies, and everyone was loved and everyone was absolved because none of their mistakes were that serious. Marissa was the only woman in the family who abandoned her child. Tears fell. Marissa rubbed her eyes. They've got food in the office. I'm going to grab a plate. Do you want anything? Andres asked Marissa when she emerged from the bathroom wearing the pink robe he hated. No, thank you, Marissa said. Have you been crying? A little bit. Why? Don't worry about it. I'm going to take a nap until I feel better. Don't blame me because you missed your son. You chose to move here to be with me. That's correct. You love taking road trips. Take a road trip to your mom's ranch and visit your son. It isn't that simple. I haven't spoken to my mother since Christmas. She doesn't know I moved to San Francisco. She doesn't know I'm here with you now. She despises me. She's always despised me, but especially now. I know my son is fine. My mom loves him. She takes better care of him than I ever did. I just feel bad for myself, and I can't forget the mistakes I made. I'll always carry that shit around. You don't have to carry it around. You don't have to keep punishing yourself. I feel like I do. Are you sure you don't want anything from the office? Yeah, I'm sure. Thanks. I'm sorry for not being more fun. It's okay. I understand. Marissa watched down a couple of allergy pills with the wine when Andres left the room. She turned off the television and brought the candles into the room. She turned off the lights and got in bed. Once at Monaghan's, Marissa saw Jesus in the den during a summer party. All her friends were sleeping. Marissa was crying. She couldn't recall why. She was crying and praying, and then Jesus appeared beside her sleeping bag. He wore thorns on his head, and he looked down at Marissa with infinite compassion, spoiling her for all other men. Oh, Jesus, no one can love me like you can, Marissa said as she fell asleep in the candlelit bed. <laughs> candlelit bed. She was being 95% facetious, 5% sincere. Jesus was Prince Charming. Jesus was Rhett Butler. Jesus was a lover who did not exist, a man who could bring Marissa to multiple orgasms and kick her ass at Scrabble, put a diamond ring on her finger, whisk her off to Fiji, turn her wounds into white roses and tell her, I love you exactly as you are, my queen. Don't change a fucking thing. 
I worship and adore and cherish your sweet, quiet ass. You're once, twice, a billion times a lady. Do you like your bacon crispy or chewy? <laughs> <laughs> and and as I hear that, and, and I hear it through my own lens, you know, but, but I hear a lot of rawness. I hear a lot of emotion. I hear a lot of, a lot of pain, honestly. And, and I can imagine things about it, but I want to ask you this. What does it do for you when you write? Like when, when you get a, a book, a story, a piece of art, when you create, what, what does that do for you to be able to get that, that endeavor created and here it is and you offer it to the world i feel like i'm talking to someone who is listening and empathizing i feel like it's a conversation with a god uh, the god i was taught to believe in is the judeo-christian god where you die and you go to heaven or hell you go to heaven if you believe in jesus if you don't believe in jesus you go to hell that never worked for me i'm not an atheist i'm not really an agnostic either i'm very spiritual but for me, my art and my writing, that is my prayer to a God who is loving and he's listening and everything's absolved and I'm understood finally. And there's true empathy. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I know that you said that it's not really comfortable for you to go into and use San Antonio as the example to, to be at an open mic, but that you, you will, you may try to do that some for uh, promoting your books. What is it like for you when you, when you do either meet somebody who's read something of yours or, you know, what do you, do you get, let me just ask it as a different question. Have you gotten much feedback from people who have read your stories, read your books or, um, about the art that you've created? Do you hear people telling you what meaning they make of it? Yeah, I've gotten great feedback, mostly from other people who are also suffering with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, People who are status quo and who live neat and tidy lives will never get what I'm doing. That's not my audience. My audience is people who are outside the system. They're outcasts for whatever reason. And people who have really lived... Um, when I was going through my dating blitz, having lots of indiscriminate sex, I placed an ad at Craigslist saying, I just drank the loneliest cerveza in San Antonio. I wasn't expecting any responses. I got tons, but this one guy that responded was a vice cop. And he said that was part of his job was to go and kind of troll the ads at Craigslist, I guess, for prostitutes or whatever. And mm-hmm. He was blown away by my Craigslist ad. And so we talked on the phone and we actually met and hooked up a couple of times. And what he loved was um, the truth and my mm-hmm. art and my writing. Mm-hmm. He responded to that because he had lived a very wild life, a very hedonistic life. And he just loved the truth. And his favorite writer is Oscar Wilde. And so we were comparing Oscar Wilde quotes and stuff. <laughs> um, I don't have stage fright. I love singing karaoke, and I I love getting on the mic, but it's just that I don't want to leave my son at night. I want to be here when he goes to sleep, but I am going to venture out because I owe it to Wolf. He's put a lot into the book, a lot of money, time, energy. He had a controversy with some printer in Arizona. They said they were sorry they couldn't print the book anymore, and I thought, 
isn't a printer's job just to print the book and not read the content, but evidently they read some of the bullshit rodeo and they didn't like it, so they refused to print any more copies of it. Mm. And so, I mean, he's really put his balls on the line, and so I do owe it to him. I've always wanted to go to AWP, but I never been able to go to AWP. But mm-hmm. a friend of mine from Santa Fe, she went, and uh, I sent her a copy of, I think I sent her a copy of Bullshit Rodeo, and either Walking the Earth or Fuck Her Butt Happy Time, and then my uh, Devil House press chat, No Guns, No Knives, No Disco Biscuits. And that's creative nonfiction flash, and that's also about my sex life in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So. Are, are you working on some writing like all the time now, you know, how, how does that work for you? Is, is writing, I, I know you said that you write a lot, you post a lot on your blog, but in terms of things that would end up in publication, do you have something in progress right now? No, um, I do want to do another book of selfies. I had one called Connubial Blister that was at Amazon for a while. It was all selfies I took of me with, um, I was nude and I was covered from head to torso and cheap red lipstick and there's one I want to do called Ugly Gringa where I'm also wearing the crazy makeup and then there is a book of bilingual poetry that I want to do with the help of Google Translate called No Moss Palabras and mm-hmm. then um, there's a novel I've had the brainstorm for this novel for over a year now called Sangre and uh, it's got elements of my life but it's, it's more unlike my life than anything I've ever written where there's a really kick-ass protagonist and she's a sociopath and the novel opens with her blowing her dad's brains out in front of the Alamo and then she kidnaps this Mexican teenager and she pimps her out on the way to Mexico and so I want to write that but I'm not ready to write that yet I've got to get through (laughs) these two art classes that I have I'm learning about the Italian Renaissance and Michelangelo and the Sistine Chapel and all that and then I'm doing gouache and 2D after this semester maybe this summer I will start tackling Sangre. Uh-huh. But um, I'm really a big fan of Gertrude Stein. I know many dismiss her as pretentious, but I love Gertrude Stein and I love Kathy Acker. And I don't like the, the linear narrative, even with Bullshit Rodeo. I would say Bullshit Rodeo is, well, it's, it's not a linear narrative, but it's, um, it has aspects of the linear narrative and traditional novel in it. And that I keep coming back to the same thing. I keep coming back to my love affair with Dan Zero. Whereas in Kathy Acker, it's just, it falls to the wall, nonlinear. And that's what I want to achieve with Sangre, but I don't see how I could. If they're clearly going on a road trip from San Antonio to Mexico, well, that's linear. So that's what I'm struggling with. It's because the, uh, the linear narrative, it just, it bores me. I wrote my first novel in 2005 for Nana Remo, Nova's Gone Potty, about a, a loner chick whose toilet starts talking to her in Ozzy Osbourne's voice because she has chronic constipation. She's on the toilet so much it starts talking to her. And <laughs> I had fun with that novel because it was so crazy. But then again, it, it was linear. It goes uh-huh. point A, point B, point C. And I don't want to do that. It's, uh-huh. it's not fun to do it for 200 pages. Uh-huh. And speaking of fun, I, I want to shift gears a, a bit. And, you know, you, you mentioned several times how important your son is to you and time with your son. And, and I'm wondering, what are some of the kinds of things that you and your son do together? Well, at night, after he has his bath, I tell him Cougar and Sally stories. Um, <laughs> when we moved to San Antonio in 2012, we were in this little apartment 
and I would make a pizza or whatever, and the smoke alarm would go off, and I'd get a broom, and I would jam it against the smoke alarm to get it to shut up. And so I told him the story about this redneck couple named Cougar and Sally, and um, Cougar would come home each day from Walmart, and Sally would be passed out on the couch. She had just drank a bottle of Jack Daniels, and the smoke alarm was going off. And he would say, damn it, Sally, again, you're going to danger world. And I give them these really hick Texas accents. And so um, it kind of evolved over the years. And so every night I tell them a Cougar and Sally story. And they have this son named CJ whose brain was damaged at birth. And he's a little sociopath. And he does all these crazy things. And my son's a very good boy. He's a very good student. And he's very meek and all of that in class. He respects authority. So he kind of lives vicariously through CJ, who's an absolute anarchist. He's anti-authority okay (laughs) and and i'm I'm trying to imagine this these are bedtime stories (laughs) (laughs) yeah my mom doesn't it's been a constant battle for years with my mom ex-husband misty that might not be appropriate for him you know I'm just wondering how how you you calm down from that to to getting to sleep. <laughs> well, he sucks his thumb. He's been sucking his thumb since he was an infant, and he has this little security blanket named Puppy. And I always make Puppy talk and say crazy little things. Well, finally last night he said, "Mommy, can you please give Puppy a different personality?" <laughs> <laughs> Does he? Does your son ever add to the stories in addition to making that suggestion? Does he ever? Does he ever have some ideas of his own that go into the stories? Oh yeah, I'll tell him. I'll say, so what happens in this story? He'll give uh-huh. me a scenario, and then cool. and yeah, I'll tell him about it. Uh huh. That's great. And you mentioned early on that that you guys are into hiking and things like that together. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. For a long time, he didn't. He would get tired very easily, but time. Um, his dad put him in karate and he's made him stick it out. He's got a very tough teacher and it's been challenging that um, when I moved back in, I said, we're going to change the way we eat. And I said, Michael, absolutely no white bread. It has to be wheat. He needs more greens. He needs kale and this and this and this. And I try to get him to drink green tea. He won't do it, but he'll eat a little bit of the kale. Uh-huh. And I've gotten my ex to stop making so much meat and he stopped making, um, uh, beef and he makes turkey meat now for the chili or whatever uh-huh. and our son who's he's tested out and now he's kicking ass the karate he's already got his uh, I think green belt was the latest and he's going for his purple belt now and so he's lost weight and he's, he's doing really well and I've told people before you know in all the chaos in my life all the moves the relationships all this stuff I've not missed a birthday party or a karate belt test and I take some nice. small pride in that yeah so yeah so so he does karate and and I want to get back to the nature thing so do you guys I don't know what it's like like what the scenery is like around you um are you San Antonio is in the hill country so there's lots of hills and trees mm-hmm. and there's a really good park we went to one um that I'd never found and I've been here since 2012 and I found this little out of the way park where they had it was like a, a pagoda. And so we took pictures of the pagoda and there were ducks and we fed the ducks. And it was a very small park. But um, we don't do extensive hiking. We just basically go to the place, walk around and take pictures. And sometimes we kick the soccer ball. Uh-huh. 
Does does your son also take photographs, or is it just you? Uh, no, he doesn't really have any interest in that. He has a little bit of interest in art. We've done art projects together and collaborated on painting and stuff. But uh-huh. uh, me and my ex have discussed it because when we were his age, we were both very passionate about what we did. I was passionate about writing, and he was passionate about art. And Jackson doesn't really have that. What uh-huh. he likes the most is video games. And I've tried uh-huh. to phase that out. And I think it was last Christmas I told mom, my mom, and I told my ex-husband he does not need any video games or a new tablet and so he got video games and a tablet and I'm very anti that <laughs> I'm anti TV and it's just it's a constant battle uh-huh. uh-huh so that's yeah I think that's part of parenting <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then the grandparenting issue of you know well your mom gives him what she wants to give him even if it's not what you would like <laughs> and see it, it's hard because my mom has been there since the beginning. She was there when my son was born. She was there when I couldn't really care for him. Um, I didn't give my son a bath for the whole first week. Uh, my mom and my ex-husband, they, they totally took care of him the first week. I tried to breastfeed, but it only lasted for a week, and he was losing weight. He had to go on the bottle, and we changed formula six or seven times because he kept rejecting the formula, and it was constant trips to the pediatrician, and I was just pulling my hair out strand by strand and I was sleep deprived and I have to have my sleep or I'm a monster. I absolutely Mm -hmm. have to have my sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's hard because, um, and they actually took my son. There was kind of an intervention right after his fifth birthday party at this pizza place in San Antonio. She and her third husband confronted me about stuff. I'd been on Facebook and all that and, and they took my son to their ranch, and he was there from November of 2012 to May, I think, May or June of 2013. So they're very attached to him. Well, they were going to buy a house in the area so they could be close to it, but they didn't. They bought a house further away in East Texas, and it's a constant thing. Y'all drive up for spring break, and no. Once a year is enough for me to go just for Christmas, that's enough. I don't like the drive. It's an awful drive, just these little depressing small Texas towns between San Antonio and where they live. And um, and they want to see Jackson every chance they get, my son. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess I'm, I know I'm selfish. I'm very selfish, but I don't want to make that drive. And so they have to come here to see him because they didn't buy a house in the area. They're about eight hours away. And in Texas, if it's eight hours, it's, it's nothing. But to me, I, I'm just tired of driving across Texas. I've been driving across Texas all my life, and uh-huh. it's not bad. Mm-hmm. So. so we're getting close to the end of the show, and I know that in the information that I will post, I'll put the link to your blog. Um, I, I know, you know, we want people to know that you're writing, that you're creating other kinds of art, and that will continue, and that you're open about your personal story, that, that your life isn't the easiest, and it also is a life that's similar to a lot of people. And so there is that, that you know, once again, my, my gratitude for your openness about you know, what your real life is like and, and your willingness to put that out in your writing and in your art and and the way that that does connect for other people so they feel 
less alone, you know? And yes. I love that for you, you, you're really clear that this is also a spiritual path for you, that that your creation uh, with word and, and collage and other art is really connection to the God that you believe in, that loves and understands. And that's really beautiful too. Yes. Yeah. And and I want to give a huge shout out. I know that you're saying at this point you haven't you haven't been able to do the promotion that you would like to do, because in part you have somebody like Wolfgang Karstens. Um, well, I don't know that there's anybody like Wolfgang Karstens. You have Wolfgang Karstens and Epic Rights Press behind you, really wanting your work to be known, really valuing what you do, and and doing hard work as you pointed out to make that happen because of some some run in with some publisher who didn't want to keep printing. <laughs> so I want to yeah. thank Wolfgang Karstens. I want to encourage people to go look at Epic Rights Press. Um, and as I say, buy the books. <laughs> Wonderful <laughs> stuff going on there, including this book, Bullshit Rodeo, by my guest today, Misty Rainwater Lights. Misty, I really appreciate you're making the time to do this. And, and your openness as you're putting things out into the world. I'm, I'm so glad you're doing that. I hope you continue doing that. And I hope that life for you and Jackson and others just gets better and better as a result. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that so much. You're very welcome. And I'll say so long to our guests. It's been a powerful show of Talk With Me and today's guest, Misty Rainwater Lights. Folks, thanks for listening. And again, check out Misty online on her blog and Epic Rights Press for those books. And thank you. And so long, listeners.